welcome to the sixth installment of Talent Summit Back to Basecamp podcast series. We've invited some of our most influential speakers and special guests back to Basecamp to share their insights and thought leadership as the working world transforms at pace as a result of the COVID crisis. This series will explore how HR leaders can affect a more robust recovery while enhancing the working lives of our people. I'm Robert McGillifaldrick, founder of Talent Summit and CCO of Sigma Recruitment. And joining me this week in Basecamp is Patty McCord, TED speaker, author, co-creator of the Netflix Culture Deck and HR Disruptor. Netflix is often cited as the cliche case study of disruption and possibly the most well-known example of enduring organizational transformation. We'll peel back the layers of how this was achieved, why it's important now, and what can be done now to drive competitive advantage in the medium term while enhancing the working lives of our people in the long term. Welcome to the sixth installment of Back to Basecamp Talent Summit series. Um, this is one I've been really, really looking forward to and so excited to get the opportunity to collaborate with our good friend, uh, Paddy McCord. Paddy, thank you so much for joining us at 7 a.m. in the morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Can't wait. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. So for most of you, um, you know Paddy, you know her work. Uh, I know I've got a lot of messages, Paddy, of people who've been longtime admirers and, again, have pinched so much from the work that you and your team have done and have applied it. Uh, and people have mentioned the impact it's had on their business. But for, for, for those who probably don't know the full breadth of Paddy's work, um, world-renowned TED speaker, uh, author, uh, co-creator of the Netflix Culture Deck, HR disruptor, and a dear, dear friend of Talent Summit and of mine. Um, how have you been since we saw you last in San Francisco three years back, Paddy? Ooh, I've been traveling a lot until the pandemic happened. Um, I was just all over the world talking to big companies and small companies and, you know, women CEOs and HR groups. And it's been really, really wonderful to see the similarities of what we're all going through at work, you know, no matter where I go. So I got a lot of good trips out of it, too. Good, good, good. Well, we, we had a great time with you here in, um, in Ireland, Patty. Yeah, we did. I remember when you um, you were on the radio here um, <laughs> on uh, George Hook, I think it was, and, right. and my my dad rang me afterwards and he said that lady is very impressive. He goes, "Oh, who?" He said, "The Hoover lady." I said, "What are you talking about, Dad?" And he said to me, "He goes, that lady from Nilfisk. They're doing amazing things, aren't they?" <laughs> I said, "Dad, it's Netflix. It's Netflix." <laughs> so, uh, on a related story, yeah. Uh, uh, an HRVP that I worked for like 25 years ago uh, is Britted, he, and he sends me an email. And he's like, "Hey, Patty, it's Dick from you know 1984 or something like that." And he said, "I was I was vacationing in Ireland. I was driving around <laughs> listening to George Hook, and it was you." <laughs> it's like I couldn't believe it. Get away! I seen this guy. Yeah, he was just like randomly driving around. That was a crazy interview, wasn't it? That was funny. Well, he's a crazy yeah. guy. He's a crazy he's guy. A crazy he's a guy. Crazy yeah. Guy. He's a crazy guy. So, look, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, like, genuinely great to catch up. Uh, and it's funny, I've been rereading your book, uh, mm. Powerful, um, and there's so many things when 
you go back to are so relevant to what we're going through right now, Paddy. And uh, in a parallel um, kind of space, it reminds me so much of the arguments that our good friend Margaret Heffernan put forward in her book, Uncharted. Yeah. And she sends her love, by the way. She sends her her, her best. Uh, I was talking to her last night. Um, so we might, we might touch on some of those uh, as we go through the discussion. Okay. So Netflix, mm -hmm. it's become the cliche case study for disruption, hasn't it? And mm -hmm. I think more than that, that it's been one that has endured. Um, and I think it's up to this day, it, it, it really has stood the test of time around its constant permanent reinvention. And a lot of people will also cite the work that you led uh, around the organization transformation and how often you guys pivoted to borrow a term from Silicon Valley mm -hmm. um, and, and, and how that's worked very effectively over time. So, so what I'd like to do is maybe to peel back the layers um, of how important that work is now, what it can do to drive competitive advantage in the short term, but ultimately to enhance the working lives of our people in the mm -hmm. long term. So that's what I'd love to do over the next hour or so, Paddy, if that's cool with you. Let's do it. Great. So a good place to start is at the start. So you got a phone call uh, in the middle of the night back in 1997. Who was it and what did they want? Well, it was Reed Hastings and Reed and I had worked at a company before that um, and that company was acquired and during the acquisition they did what we did whenever we acquired any company, we kicked out all the execs. So um, he was investing in a bunch of companies because he made a lot of money and I was consulting. So he called me in the middle of the night, two in the morning and said, are you sleeping? And I said, yeah, geek, I'm normal. It's two o'clock in the morning. You know, what do you want? And he said, well, you know, I've, I've, Mark and I are doing this company called Netflix and, you know, we kind of got it up and running and I'd really like you to come join us. And I said, to do what? I mean, what do you have, 30 people? He's like, be my VP of HR. I said, you don't need a VP of HR. Go back to bed. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. And he said, why? And I said, because I'm consulting and I hang out with my kids and, you know, I don't want to do another startup with you. I know what you're talking about. Call somebody else that doesn't know what a 30-person startup does. And, um, you know, I, I'm making a bunch of money and my time's my own. And it's a really stupid idea, Reed. I mean, DVDs in the mail, that's what the business was then. Uh, only in the U.S. And DVD players cost $1,000. And I only knew two people that had one. One of them was him. <laughs> right. Eccentric, yeah. And he said, no, 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 it'll be really great. And um, we could make the company we always dreamed of. Okay, so then I'm awake. <laughs> and I said, well, if we did that, how would you know? And he said, well, I'd come to work every day and I'd want to do this work with these people. And I said, oh, that's, that's, that's compelling. And he goes, what about you? And I said, wouldn't it be cool if we were a great company to be from? You know, like if it was on your resume, it looked cool. Nice. It, you know, like like I worked at Apple during the Macintosh or, you know, something like that. And I didn't know then that that flippant remark would kind of become the basis for my whole HR philosophy from that point on. And so, you know, I consulted with them for a month or two and then I was totally hooked. So that's did how it all began. Did you go back to sleep? 
I did, but I, you know, what we decided to do from the very beginning that was different than what we had done before, because, you know, remember the company we worked at before was very traditional and we grew through merger and acquisition. And what I did was I took their employee handbook and our employee handbook and smashed them together and make, made a bigger employee handbook with more guidelines and policies, right? So by the time we had acquired four companies, <laughs> it was a big fan and plan, but well, it was <laughs> online or something. We probably did word searches or something. But um, what we decided to do that was different was we decided to write down who we wanted to be. And that was the difference. That, that was the beginning. That was the birth of what became the Netflix culture deck. And the reason the Netflix culture deck was what it was, was that Reed liked to think in PowerPoint. I like this. So, so, so just on that point. So, let me just pause there for one second. So, I, I'm just observing around our community and mm -hmm. talent so much, mm -hmm. uh, and it's probably we've probably just received that phone call, or this crisis has cast upon us an opportunity or an invitation to mm -hmm. reimagine the type of companies we always wanted to be from. Mm -hmm. And it presents that very opportunity that woke you up at that time on that night, Patty. Um, you, you, you mentioned the, um, the, the, the slide deck, and it itself has become the blueprint for not just the, the culture code for so many other successful businesses, but effectively became the, the plans for transformation. Mm -hmm. And so many companies have looked to it, and I know it's become the most viewed deck on SlideShare over 20. Crazy, years. isn't it? Crazy. crazy. You can discount 500 of those because that was me. Um, <laughs> so, but but I, what I find very, I've looked at it like maybe 10 years ago uh, and, and I looked at it yesterday hmm. and so much of it is so relevant today. And I, I'll give you a little um, story before we get into it. Uh, we did an exec ed program for our leadership at Sigmar with a business school in Dublin. And we had a session, so we had like a half day session on uh, on HR. And mm -hmm. the opening question to uh, our leadership team was, can anyone in the room tell me uh, whose values, I'll ask you the question. So who's, what company has these values, Paddy? Integrity, communication, respect, excellence. The answer is? Enron. Yes. <laughs> so we all put our hands up really slowly and he was amazed looking at us and he asked for well, somebody, who, who, so who is it? And they said Enron. And they said, how do you know that? We said, well, it's in <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> code. And do you know what the content for the executive program was? It was uh, the slide deck. So uh, we, we got onto it very quickly that you're a good friend of ours, that we'd spent uh -huh. a lot of time with you. So we spent 45 minutes talking about you and us ah. telling him about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was our uh, executive HR program. It became a discussion about the Netflix culture day. So, so, so yeah, a couple of things about that everybody yeah. should know. Um, one was uh, it took us 10 years to write, well, okay? And yeah. Reed and I didn't write it. I mean, here was the process. We'd have a one-on-one -on -one and he'd walk in with his laptop and he'd have written a couple of slides about something and he and I would spend the one-on-one -on -one saying, so the first thing we said was, let's go off and this is how the Enron thing came up. Let's go off and have an executive offsite like you guys just did and let's write our values. And I said, let's not. I mean, I just, uh, if you want me to do t-shirts, we can write integrity on a t-shirt and that'll be fine. I mean, we got a lot of work to do and this seems like a big waste of time because every time I've ever done it in every single company, it's ended up to be this big wordy platitudes that nobody ever does. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what I will do? 
let's go offsite and let's write down what we want people to act like. Let's write behaviors that, and, and let's write them in a way so that you know it when you see it, right? It's not integrity, but we don't really mean it. We're going to cheat everybody, right? It's like, what is that to us, right? So if you go back, you went back and read it, that's the first chapter of the culture deck. So we did it. We went back to our um, executive team and did it. You know, those first executive team meetings about what were the values when, you know, people were like, let's put loyalty in. And, and we're like, maybe not right so we have these huge discussions about what kind of company we wanted to be how we wanted to be with each other you know i wanted to put um intelligence i think i put intelligence in the first one i'm like let's just not hire stupid people okay can we say that <laughs> so we rewrote that section six times well, when I was there, right? Okay, so then what we do is then we'd roll it out to the rest of the company and people could comment and we could change the words because it was a PowerPoint, mm. right? We didn't go chisel it in stone. And so if you go, when you go back and read it, realize that every chapter came after the chapter before and it was an internal onboarding document. We had no intention of it being the blueprint for everybody else's company at all. We just wanted to be able to say to people when they came in, this is what you should expect from us. So the second chapter is a chapter called High Performance, which happened after we had a big layoff in 2000. And that chapter, I told you earlier, took me and my team like four years to figure out because I couldn't have high-performing teams unless I had a really high-performing um, recruiting and talent team, right? And I couldn't say, well, I think you're done here. We might not need you anymore. And then put you on a 90-day severance plan. I had to rethink my severance thing. And then I, I started saying, that. so then we write the next chapter, Freedom and Responsibility. And we say, okay, well, you know, we've got a pretty dense group of really talented adults here who are working pretty hard. Why are we going to make a bunch of policies for them? Why don't we tell them, you know, what we want you to do is make good decisions. And so then we wrote freedom and responsibility. And then after we get freedom and responsibility, it's like, oh, shoot, not, what we need is context, not control, which was the next chapter, because we were finding that people were making a lot of independent decisions, but they weren't thinking about, you know, the rest of their colleagues, right? So that's how we did it. That's how we wrote it. We wrote it collectively. And when people disagreed, they'd come in and say to me, you know, I don't think, uh, what's the chapter where we talk about, um, go interview at other places, right? Yeah. And and this vice president came in and she said, um, I just don't think it's very feasible that you and Reed have gone out and commanded everybody to go interview somewhere else. How are we gonna get any work done? I said, you know, I just walked through the building and people appear to be here working. So, you know, if it's a command, they're disobeying. <laughs> the whole company is full of renegades that won't do what we told them to do. And I said, do you disagree with the words? Or do you disagree with the concept? And she said, well, I just think it could be written better. I'm like, okay, write it better. It's PowerPoint. I love that. And the way you're describing its evolution, Patty, it reminds yeah. me of, of Margaret Heffernan, who we mentioned. And she argued the point of crowdsourcing uh -huh. to get to a legitimate decision. And it was the process of diverse views of those that impacted most uh -huh. that really gave legitimacy to the, the decision. So do you think the process of how it came about made it more legitimate? Absolutely. And you know what I'm thinking about as you're saying it, 
we just didn't have the word crowdsourcing then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We we just said, you know, this is not um, a com a series of commandments that we're rolling out to you. Right. I mean, that's the other thing that I think in retrospect, a lot of things I've learned about what we did, I learned from walking away. Yeah. Right. So when I look back in retrospect, um, it was because we very, you know, when we sat down with people when they first started and went through the deck, um, we would say, look, this is not for us. We're not rolling this out to you. This is your guide. Yeah. And this is what you should expect from the leaders that you have. You know, if somebody's not behaving, you know, according to the way we've decided to collectively organize, then you have a right to call it out. Right. And you have a right to change it. So, you know, it's ten, it, that's 10 years of work writing it. Yeah. If I give you the word crowdsource, I think what, what you guys at Netflix have given the world is Netflix and chill. I don't know. We should go there. I don't know. We should go there. I don't know. We should go there. I'll reel it back in, Patty. I'll reel it back in. Yeah, reel it back. Reel it back. For sure. For sure. You mentioned freedom and responsibility. So, building a culture of freedom and responsibility. So, that's that's part of the title of your book. I feel like your promoter, Patty. Um, but it's there. <laughs> You're doing good. Good job. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, and it's also the title, I think, or one of the first pages in this slide deck. It was very much front of mind for me in all the conversations we've had on this Back to Basecamp series, Patty. Um, a lot of discussion around uh, dislocating the workforce from the workplace and going distributed and what that means from a trust perspective and also means from a micromanagement to macro management and mm -hmm. that big leap of faith maybe for some companies uh, and we all know the lip service we, we, we and the words we should be using and how we need to empower a word you don't like uh, mm -hmm. our people but that balance between freedom and responsibility uh, what was the main premise in achieving that balance for you and what did that mean say for treating people as adults as, as you call it yeah, I would say that, you know, back to, I think it's important in this conversation to talk a lot about the how, how we came about. Perfect, exactly. Things, right? Yeah, right. So, so as, as I'm walking through that scenario, right, so now I've got, um, we're, we're very clear about how we want to behave with each other. We've really worked hard at having what we call talent density. Um, really, you know, not as many people, but really smart people who really love the problems they're trying to solve and are really capable of solving them and are adults, 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 adults. And I don't mean old. I mean, you know, responsible people that say what they're going to do and do what they say. <laughs> you yeah. know, right. So um, then we went public. So there's a backstory to it. We went public and then the lawyers show up and the auditors show up and, you know, the uh, uh, regulators show up and they say, here's the policies you need to put in place. Right. You're a grown up company now. Here are the policies that you need. So we get the travel policy and the vacation policy and the, um, the a sign off by finance for every time you spend a dime policy. Right. And I thought. Well, if that if we really do have these adults, why am I going to give them policies that treat them like children? Why am I going to ask a PhD in math to go and require permission from somebody in accounts payable to spend more than ten thousand dollars? They know what greater than ten thousand is. <laughs> right and what they're going to do if they need to spend thirty thousand dollars is they're going to do three nine thousand dollar invoices right 
And I'm like, you know, do I even want a nanosecond of that brain working on that? And so, but, but this is a great example of how you really think about it. So I thought, well, we do kind of want to keep track on what people are spending. <laughs> we do, and we do, you know, if they have a company credit card, they we are going to need receipts. And then, so we said, and this took me probably a year with our CFO to say, why don't we swap out all those people whose job it is to say no? Because if your job is to improve stuff, your power comes from saying no. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, that's just, yeah, 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 yeah. No, nobody ever goes home and goes, I told that engineer, go ahead, spend what you want. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what they say, right? So we had to switch it to embedding people into the organization so that they were there when the teams were talking about money and saying, hey, by the way, you know, we budgeted for $10,000 per and our run rate's twelve five. So yeah. how, how are we going to think about swapping that out, which was a way of effectively teaching the organization, here's how budgets work, right? So the, but the discussion, the particular discussion about freedom and responsibility was probably happened over six months to a year with our management team because Reed was a big fan of let's just be free, right? Let's just trust everybody to do the right thing. And I said, well, you know, that's the, there's a problem in that because one of our executives, if he has to, you know, work in New York, he'll go camping. (laughs) You know, and the other one's going to fly private. (laughs) It's like, so, but based on what? And the, the underlying principle of freedom and responsibility is act in the company's best interest. Very good. Very good. Right. Uh, so, yeah. so the really critical part of freedom and responsibility is to understand why you're there. So, so for example, I would tell my HR team, yes, we are a service organization. It is not spelled S-E-R-V-A-N-T-S. And the people that we serve don't work here, right? We serve the customer. We serve your mom. We serve our job in HR is to make sure that we've got unbelievably talented teams with tons of freedom to create incredible experience for our customers. And to get out of the way from them doing that, right? Because that's who we serve. We serve the people. And and because, you know, the subscription, Netflix is a subscription service, that dove into the, it's forever, right? I never want you to quit, right? So if I never want you to quit, it can never be good enough. And I like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I like that. And I know you think differently about people in the workforce about never quitting which we will come to but but i also saw that come to life in other organizations that you've worked with uh and one that's very much front of mind is hubspot of a big operation here in dublin mm-hmm. and i know you've worked with darmage and with brian and katie and the team um and i remember speaking to brian about like you how his culture traveled and is it different in Dublin or is dub spotters different to his hub spotters in Boston? Yeah, yeah. And he said, look, there's a very shared sense of values. And so I asked him, how, how is that experienced? And he said, look, we just encourage people to use good judgment. And I think, I, uh, I don't know about you, but it's a very subjective thing using one's good judgment. So I probed him on it and he said, look, we've got a hierarchy to uh, what we view as good judgment. And what we say to our people is, this is what we expect of you. So one, and you should also expect the same of us, by the way, every mm-hmm. decision we make, how does it positively impact one, the customer, two, the organization, three, your team, four, you, and mm-hmm. make decisions in that order, go make 
decisions and mm -hmm. use good judgment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was a moment of clarity where there were real clear indicators around a value. And I know that was born and much of their content was born from the deck and also from a lot of the work that you did with them, Patty. I also think um, it was because of when our companies evolved, um, because of the Internet. Right. Um, yeah. I remember when when I first worked with the HubSpot guys, uh, I had left Netflix and Reed said to me, what's different out there? Right. How is it different than when we started the company? And I said, oh, my God, like I work with this company called HubSpot and they are like a marketing team on steroids. I mean, mm -hmm. they are just incredibly focused on creating this unbelievable SEO marketing experience. And the deal is they can make it better all the time because they're not creating marketing material that they mail out and then they see if anybody read it. It's, it, you know, the Internet makes everything interactive and makes the feedback loop almost instantaneous. And so I remember talking with Darmesh about that. Darmesh, I called for years. I was on the HubSpot uh, website as a uh, pen pal and advisor <laughs> because Darmesh would write me these long, you know, huge emails all night. And I'd be, I wake up in the morning and go, uh oh, somebody didn't sleep. <laughs> and we just email back and forth. But it was, I think it was that moment when we realized oh my God, we're in contact with our customer, back to crowdsourcing, right? It's the same kind of thing. We all started using, we have all this data, we know what people want, we know what they don't want, we can respond to it, we can test it, which is a very important part of how the Netflix culture and the work that I did came about. So because I was surrounded all the time with people who were inventing something new, and the way that they invented it was often A-B testing. So I would show you something on your website, me something on my website, and we'd see which one worked. And so when I started getting rid of a lot of these policies and procedures, I did it as a test. And I would, I'm literally, true story, I stand up in front of the company and say, when we got rid of uh, paid time off, which is, mm -hmm. you know, our time off system in the U.S. is really different than in Europe. There's almost nothing. And they track it. And it's like an hourly worker kind of thing. And I said, okay, so um, everybody I've talked to in the U.S. in HR says, this is insane. Um, either nobody's going to come to work because they don't have any rules that say how many days you can take off or nobody will ever take any time off because they're worried that what you really mean is work all the time. Yeah. Um, and the lawyers say, uh, if you're a woman and you get less time off than a man, you, you are in mass going to sue the company because it's not fair. Right. So I'm here to tell you that it's already not fair. It, we treat people differently already. We just call it exceptions and we keep it secret. So we're not going to do that anymore. Right. And um, so those are the two things that every literally everyone I've talked to says is going to happen. So. I think we should try this because I think you're pretty smart people and I think you can figure it out. And I honestly think that time is probably better managed locally because I don't know what your situation is in Dublin and I don't want somebody on my team to fly over and keep track of it. Um, <laughs> can I ask you a question? So, so as you made these decisions to peel back on policies and structure and procedures, were you yourself worried? Like it's it's putting your neck in the line a oh, little bit yeah. to be so innovative as a HR leader. I I have to tell people, I have to tell people when I do HR conferences, I'm like, really, I'm one of you. I, really, I, the, the little, you know, there's the angel and the devil, right? Mine, mine yeah. was the, the HR VP would go. You're the big oh, devil, didn't you? 
you are in trouble. <laughs> oh my God, bad things are gonna be happening. It's all your fault. So in this particular example, I said, we're gonna give this a try for six months. Yeah. And and if those bad things happen, then we'll go do what everybody else does. We'll copy everybody else's and we'll call it best practices. <laughs> Nothing best. We'll just, we'll just call it that, right? Okay, um, yeah. And that open time off policy is still there. And so it's been 15, 20 years maybe. Well. Because, because, and then, you know, so every time I'm talking about these things, you know, each time you sort of break the mold a little bit, the cracks fall all over the place. Like, so then when you don't have that, then you have to give people a lot of information to make good decisions. And you, and that, you know, let, led to um, Netflix being able to seize a moment like this very easily. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, because, because we're, you know, you already trust people to spend yes. their time doing the right thing. So it, it was just it, everything allowed. But, but I was going to tell you, then around this time, um, I'm able to, we're big enough and cool enough and we can pay enough to start hiring like real fancy managers from the other cool companies. So, we, you know, we're recruiting from Amazon and Apple and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that begat a whole bunch of years of reprogramming managers from other companies because they would say, well, how much time off can my people get? I'm like, whatever they need, the, the important part for you is to get the work done and set the context and the time frame so that the right stuff gets done on time. And they're like, can I see the time off policy? <laughs> it's like, they don't, you know, they didn't, they didn't think about it that way right I'm yeah like, yeah ah, how much time off your team takes is completely up to your team but what's the rules right so i mean and these are people who came to netflix because of the culture yeah <laughs> so, so they come for freedom and responsibility and then they show up and like you, you, oh that's my responsibility as a manager oh patty you mentioned other companies I, i'd see one question we have in here again a quick fire around um what other company cultures do you admire um, in what companies? Oh, you know, I, I see a lot of startups, a lot of startups. I mean, you know, I'm on the phone with the CEO of Glossier, right? Um, I do a lot of work with women CEOs and I've worked with Eventbrite for a bunch of years. And, you know, Julia Hart's at Eventbrite. Uh, I remember she, she calls the, her employees the Brightlings. And I'm like, I will work with you because I like you, but I do not like that term. It's like, <laughs> Are the kindergartners your brightlings? Uh, but I've gone back and followed up with her as they've changed their culture over the years as they've mm -hmm. become a real company. So, you know, I would say I admire different cultures at different phases. So right now I'm exposed to, I'm on the phone yesterday with the CEO of the farmer's dog, right? And they make um, dog food that they make by hand and they ship directly to your home. And they're 150 people and their business is taking off in the pandemic and they're scaling. And what he's trying to do at four years and 150 people is very different than when I'm, uh, you know, working with the Royal Bank of Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. who are saying, gee, you know, our future is digital and it's in the cities. And our reputation is around, you know, the outback and didgeridoos and kangaroos. 
you know, so, and they're regulated and it's political, right? And it's a hundred thousand people, right? Yeah. So I just admire anybody who's working on it. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, and but Patty, each week we bring in a view from the ground. Um, so we invite a guest contributor in um to, to to kind of mix up the conversation and to kind of give us uh, an independent view i suppose and this week we're joined by your good friend michelle fogarty Hi! <laughs> i'm so happy to see you i know, I know. sorry but... Rob, you can go now all right <laughs> Mike, we're just waiting on each other. It was <laughs> oh, this is such a great surprise. Yay. No. Big heart, big heart. I know. Sorry. Okay, Rob, sorry. We'll I feel like a spare. Come here. <laughs> Come on, Joe. Your, uh, your job is to go get drinks. Yes. 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 <laughs> no, 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 I promise. <laughs> for, for our listeners and viewers, uh, so Michelle Fogarty is one of the co-founders of Pep Talk, uh, one of the most exciting kind of HR, uh, tech, well-being, um, engagement companies here in Ireland and formerly uh, a fellow HR disruptor and troublemaker uh, uh-huh. at mm-hmm. Twitter and Tycho and Blizzard. Um, Michelle. Yes, my dear. Right. I'm actually really struggling to concentrate because Paddy's here, but I'm really going to try. <laughs> <laughs> like a few minutes and then you can kick me off right i've had three authors on the show in the last three weeks and i want to ask you this question so yeah. the first one was rory best we had last week oh, he was the yeah. captain of the irish rugby team patty how yeah. many times do you think of this book he mentioned ireland yeah. you're not going to get it. 365 okay, <laughs> Margaret okay uh, lives in the uk spent a lot of time in the u.s of not of Irish descent. How many times does she mention Ireland in her, her book? Uh, probably seven times. Seven <laughs> times. How many times did Paddy McCord? Oh, here we her go. Book? Here we go. Zero. Zero. <laughs> Michelle Fogarty, you were my um, co-conspirator uh, four years ago when we had Paddy in town. You had one job. It was to get Ireland mentioned in the book. How I, did you go on? I failed dismally. <laughs> I did like, get her arrested because I thought that would be the best. <laughs> and that didn't even work. It didn't. It didn't. So you're lucky to be back. Yeah. Um, good to see you. <laughs> I promise. She tried. She I gave did. it a very good try. That I mean, I did. it's not like we didn't work on it. No, we did. We did. We worked a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about HR stuff, Rob. Sorry. I'm really conscious of. Uh, Let's do it. Let's do it. So, come here to what are you seeing on the ground? What are you seeing on the ground amongst a lot of your clients? And what's the new music like amongst HR mm-hmm. leaders? Yeah, yeah, like, and, and Patty can come in because she'll come in anyway. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, if I be honest, I see the majority of them who are sitting delighted with life going, we, we now work remotely. And there's a, like a big part of me going, uh, yeah, you're technically working remotely, but you're not really working remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple that are just really busy trying to get back to normal. Um, and then there's a whole lot of people, I think, that kind of know there's an opportunity, but maybe don't really know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And I think like what I'm certainly seeing on the ground is like, you know, there's there's an opportunity. And, and this is where Paddy's talk today comes in. Like there's a real opportunity to go back and to start to humanize the workplace. Right. Mm-hmm. Put in all the stuff that we took out the first time and to put back in the stuff we should have had in there. And I think that um, if I be honest, I, I'm not entirely sure every HR team is really ready for that just yet, right? So I think that there's, what I'm seeing is a lot of people who are just trying to make what they had work, which is fine. Like there's a certain point where you just have to 
get through and then we'll fix it on the other side. But now is really an opportunity for us to rework things, right? To take stuff and go, does that still fit? Does that still make sense? That's and right. Not do something about it. Right. And, and if we didn't do it, right, if yeah. all this time we're busy working and trying to figure it out and we didn't yeah. do it, did we have to do it anyway? Exactly. Right? Robert and I were talking before, uh, before we got started on the call yeah. about, um, you know, we cling to policy and process yeah. because it's safe and it's predictable. And so much right now is crazy. It's like, ah, oh, I'm going to hold on to this policy because I know how to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people all over the world now and they're like, yeah, that annual performance review, yeah. like, just why, would, why would we spend time at home doing this? Yeah, <laughs> right. And, and the and the freedom and responsibility part we just talked about is like, well, uh, people tell me, you know, that's a great idea, but yeah. you know, you're a Silicon Valley tech company. Yeah. We can't do this. Yeah. We can't really trust people. It's not in our DNA. And then, boom, we do it. And, and don't you think, Patty, like I was kind of saying this to Rob yesterday, the one thing I feel that COVID has done, as much as there's so many negatives, and we all know that, and nobody's trying to minimize that, but like what I love, the one upside to this is that from a pure talent perspective, it's taken away all the crap of like, I work for this shiny company and we've got foosball tables and massages and yogurt. <laughs> and actually what it's about is, am I doing good work? And do I work with great people? And it's stripped all that stuff away. So actually, there's a level playing field now for organizations of all size. If you can understand talent and figure out what you're trying to get after, because now that's what matters more. If I'm not sitting in my fancy office with a slide and a beanbag, you know, what does it really matter? So and and the opportunity to rethink. Um like you, you said, like the, the wanting to go back to normal, that's not going to happen. No, and normal was it, it, Yeah, Well, it, it's, just, it's just, even if you want that, it's, yeah. too, it's too late, yeah. right? It's, I'm sorry, you know, that train left the station, yeah. too bad, so sad. So yeah. now I think it's this incredible opportunity to go, yeah. 2021, what do we look like, right? And the, I, the other thing that I find really fascinating is, you know, you talk about the shiny offices and the beanbag chairs. It's also like, well, you're this person at work. Oh, and you're, you're just at home. You're, yeah. an, you're an employee. And so I have to control you because you're an employee because it's my job to keep track of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And are you showing up doing it? And are you having fun? And are you engaged? And are you empowered? Yeah. And now we're seeing, wow, these are people with complicated lives. Rob's got a new pet, yeah. right? We have children in the background, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. These, are, these are whole entities now. Yeah. And so it's the, you know, the whole bring your whole self to work. Yeah. Well, we just brought our whole selves to work. <laughs> right? And there's no such thing as balance anymore. I, I have a granddaughter now. I know, I know. And, and, and my, my son's like, he goes, oh, yeah, she's in every conference call. They get mad if she's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so that's another way, you know, pull it all off and go, wow, knowing what we know now about where our people are really living, literally, you know, living and responding. You know, I have another friend who works for TED and her team is a lot of young people, a lot of young single people in New York City. And they do a check-in every week or so and they just go around and say, how are you doing? And she said, you know, somebody's like, I'm so lonely. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I'm just, I'm, thank God I have the work yeah. because that's my contact with other people. And all of those things are incredible opportunities for us. But don't you think, Patty, like that's the one thing for us. Don't mind me, guys. I, I just read Patty's book. You were away. But the one thing I, I really, and I'm very genuine about, like, and it really was our passion at Pep was that, like, you know, people were whole people before this, right? It's just we chose to ignore it. So if I'm getting no sleep and I'm worried about paying my bills and I can't have a difficult conversation with my manager, all those things that are well-being, not just yoga and fruit and canteen, which are nice things. I'm not saying they're not. Mm -hmm. And I think that's suddenly what's staring employers and, and all of us in the face is this idea of like, actually, we are dealing with humans. This isn't B to C or B to B. It's H to H. It's human to human. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and you know, like if you were a poor manager beforehand, that's that was fine. You could kind of get away with it because they were there and you could poke at them and do stuff. But and if you were a good manager, that was fine. You could have the decent conversations. But now, like if you look at it now, and I was chatting to a, a very senior leader yesterday, and he was like, But how am I going to connect with people? And I was like, Yeah, it's called being vulnerable. Like, uh -huh. oh, like uh -huh. offer something up and have a different conversation. And uh -huh. literally, like, it's really hard. And I was like, well, yeah, okay, that's fair because you haven't practiced it. But <laughs> I think what this is doing is it's just stripping everything away. So for me, the biggest opportunities lie in these moments now, right? Because this is when you can reinvent yourself. Also, if I'd be honest, as a H and this is the HR person to me, now is the time where, not to sound bad, the people that maybe, you know, quote unquote, don't want you at the table. They're hungry right now. So now you now is the time, right? But you've got to be, you've definitely got to be ballsy and you've got to be able to stand your right. I, I, just, I just talked to a CEO the other day who said to me, um, he does, you know, town hall meetings on Zoom with everybody. And he said, I am having more, I, I believe I'm impacting my junior people more than I ever have because I'm not on stage at the company meeting. We're all the same size square. <laughs> and and look at, you know, I'm looking at the chat box over here on the right. And he said, and, and I, and he said, and I can't stand up there and uh, pontificate about how great things are going to be. I have to say, I don't know. And I'm scared too. Right. And he said, and I get all of this on, you know, real time crowdsourcing feedback from them saying, here's an idea. And he's like, he looks at it afterwards and goes, Oh, that's from somebody I don't even know. <laughs> Paddy, will you tell yeah. them I've just experienced it with the two of you? Uh, this is democratization uh, at its best. Okay, can I ask you one question to two of you um, while I have you? Um, you mentioned, Michelle, like stripping back all this mm -hmm. veneer of what we feel yeah. we needed for collaboration. Yeah. So mm -hmm. workplace is built openly and with all of those good things you mentioned to enhance collaboration. If I look at the journey of HR, right, the one thing that's been kind of a lot of people talking about, like the need to over communicate. Mm -hmm. And I think it's become very clear. You look at your 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 time you spend on Zoom video calls and you can see the amount of time that goes in in order to collaborate. And I think HR have been at the heart of this transition and have been have kind of moved from being a spoke on the wheel of communication to being the hub of the wheel of communication. And I think there's an opportunity as we reconvene that we think very differently around the impact of communication. Because Paddy, I know you argue, the more policies you strip back and structure you strip back, mm -hmm. the more we need to over communicate what we expect of our people. Mm -hmm. so, so what do you think this means for, for, for the impact of HR leadership on candor and care as we reconvene? Mm -hmm. 
Patty? Oh, I, 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 it's just, we're already experiencing when I, you know, talk to my HR colleagues, they're like, well, all bets are off, you know, just the, literally what I do every day is different. And, um, and the conversations they're having with people are deeper and more personal because, this is a big deal, right? This isn't like, you know, my favorite, they're not cantaloupe in the canteen anymore. And I really pissed off about this. This is like, my husband got laid off. I'm really concerned about, you know, what's going to happen to me? How do I think about this? Or so I, I think we're already involved. And you and I talked earlier, and I'm sure we'll get to this. I think it's a really opportune time to just write it down, right? Just keep track of everything that's happening right now so that when we when we get to the we're trying to whatever the other side is we're already on the other side mm -hmm. yeah. we, don't have, we don't have to get there so now that we're on the other side what's good about it and what's not and i think you know hr people are in the middle you're absolutely right and so it's it's a time for them to reflect on what's working and what's not working and really look in the mirror mm -hmm. And say, what now? What? What? How do I matter? Yeah, yeah. Right? Well said. Well said. Well said. Michelle, for you, I can't really follow that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was a setup. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I mean, I know it's probably a little bit of my style, but like, I think you have to be ballsy because. I think this is the time that's going to make or break HR. And I'm not saying that to scare HR people, but there is a reality for me. I am a proud HR person. I've come out of HR, right? I'm running and owning a business now. And I'm telling you now, guys, we are not looked at well. And we all know that, right? And we can all argue why it is and why it's not. But the reality is it is what it is. And as Niall and our team will always say, you have to start where you're at. Yeah. And the thing for me is like, all right, quit the whinging. You now have a seat at the table. You're now lying on the table, right? That's right. Now is the time to take everything you've learned and to actually do something about it. Because I'm going to argue here, if you can't develop your HR function off the back of this, quit and go and work in something else. Yeah. Like, literally, it is at our feet as HR people to reinvent things. And I can tell you, I've seen it. I've seen organizations that we might have talked to about what we do for months months uh -huh. months and years even and i'm telling you now within 10 days they can sign up everybody's on board and we're off to the races so that tells you exactly to all bets are off anything is possible uh -huh. but what i've learned in hr is you've got to show a big enough uh, a big enough reason to do it like why do you want to go through that pain and that's really yeah you know, the, the other thing I, I try and talk to people about is that, you know, I, I have this, I, I'm always getting invited to these conferences to talk about innovation, right? And the digital revolution and innovation and the future of work. And I'm like, okay, so all this stuff. I mean, that was the conference we invited you to speak at three years ago. The biggest innovation we can do in HR is to stop doing stupid stuff. Yeah. Just if you don't have to reinvent it, no. <laughs> you know, you don't have to replace it with something else. Just stop doing it if you can't explain why it matters. Yeah. Okay. And then start thinking really hard about what matters and do that really, really yeah. well. Right. I mean, you and I talked about this um, all those years ago. It's like, look, the talent pipeline is every, that's what you're responsible for. You're you're responsible for unbelievable excellence in putting the right people in the right place at the right time. Can and I, that's I, it. Well, Rob, 
I, look, can I pick up with you on that, Paddy? Michelle, you're getting too oh, much on mail for my liking on, in, in this commentary box. Could you please go cause trouble elsewhere? Thanks a million for joining us, Michelle. Okay. Oh. Well, I'll talk to you during the week, Paddy. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye, Bye Michelle. You. Thanks. She's brilliant, isn't she? I love her. Good to see her. Good to see her. Good to see her. Putting the right talent in the right place at the right time. I just couldn't move from that because that brings us on to what I'd love to talk to you about. So people talk about not wasting a good crisis, Paddy. I would argue the opposite, and I'd argue let's not waste a good recovery. Uh -huh. So what you've done particularly well in my book is like the constant reinvention, this permanent state of flux change. What do you think we could do now if we are to use this opportunity and the momentum around change to create a workforce that's more effective or impactful for, say, the new norms as they look to emerge? So what can we do now to build a better workforce for tomorrow? Uh, and how do we look at that from a redeployment standpoint and to look, let the, um, the, the, the recovering recruiter in you come out mm -hmm. for a moment mm -hmm. to talk about like, how and when should we look to start recruiting again? Right. Well, let's, let's start with the fundamental premise that we talked about earlier. Um, you want to use this time and whatever you're doing during this time to create experiences that are resume worthy, CV worthy. Right. Yeah. So you you want to be uh, always, always thinking about a great place to be from. OK. And the workforce that is next year is probably going to want to have some really different sets of expertise than the workforce that's here now. And so now is a good time for people to start having those conversations about. So for leaders to have conversations about, here's what I think it's going to look like. And here's what I think it's going to take for us to be successful. You know, I have in my book, I have this um, very, very particular methodology for doing this in six months. If your team is amazing, um, what's occurring then that's not occurring now? Right. And then write that down and then give me all your numerals and all your metrics to say what's amazing. And I don't mean better. I mean, amazing. Right. And then I say, make a movie of it. But right now we're literally in it. <laughs> right. We're making a movie of it every single day. OK. Then I say, OK, and then drop down and say, OK, in order for that to happen in six months. Differently. What what would people need to know how to do? And we're we're experiencing right now a whole bunch of things that people we didn't know needed to know how to do, but are doing well. Right. Figuring out how to video conference. I'm, I'm doing another one later in the week. And uh, I said, you know, I, I know that, you, you know, you hired me to give this hour long talk, but it's not very effective. Interviews are much better. You know, I've, I've been doing this now for a couple of months and it's much more fun to have a conversation than for me to be talking to myself on the screen in the computer, right? So what, what do people need to know how to do? Then you drop down and say, what kind of skills and experience would it take for somebody to know how to do that in six months? The timing is important, isn't it? The timing is absolutely yeah. important. And yeah. I think that's one of the things we, in HR in particular, do particularly poorly, right? Someday... <laughs> Funny <laughs> then, then we roll out our next global HR initiative. But that's <laughs> right? never. That's never. You can't ground that or land. Well, that. you don't know. You know, somebody yeah. on your team might think, "Oh shit, she means next Thursday," and yeah. somebody else think, "Oh, she's just." It never happens, right? <laughs> so, so in six months, now we've dropped down. Now we know what you need to know how to do. Now we need to know what skills and experience. And then and only then look at the team that you have, and then start having those conversations. Robert, I love you to pieces. We wouldn't be here today without you, but as you know, we're completely back to the pivoting 
the organization. And I'm telling you, come January, I'm not sure if I would hire you. I'm used <laughs> to be dropped. I've been let down. No, 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 no. But, but that, and, and you would feel let down, but I would yeah. give, have been giving you enough context for you to go, well, you're probably right. I'm not sure I want to know. I want to do that either. Right. So there's a way to fold it all in to start having these conversations with people, you know, one on one all the time about. So what are you finding out that you're really loving and what are you really hating about this? And, um, you know, what's going to happen when companies say, OK, live wherever you want. Right. Is that, is that really going to work? It's happening, yeah. So, um, how do we think about that? And do we literally mean anywhere you want, or do we mean in the same time zone? And so, I'm just saying, um, it's now is the time to start putting, you know, some some deadlines or some time frames on things, and saying, you know, we should start getting closer to what we think the world looks like at the end of the year by September, if we can. Right. And then realize, as we've all discovered right now, <laughs> we could be wrong, <laughs> you know, and if okay. we're wrong, then we're just we'll just do what we already did. Just restart. I mean, everyone is doing things differently and everyone is doing things that they told me they couldn't. It's funny. You, you remind me again of Margaret Heffernan's argument, Patty, around. So I'll pick up a Paddy now, and pretty much what we were saying uh, was the constructs for leadership. We looked at three different uh, things recently, and one of them was um, uh, societal leadership. So I'm going to pick up a Paddy, if I can, um, on that question. So I'll just dot her back in. Accepted and connecting. She'll zoom back in now. I'm back. We have you. We have you, we have you. Live okay. TV, Paddy, live TV. So here's the question. So just looking at some of the, um, a lot of the content that organizations have been kind of pushing out around um, Black Lives Matter. Um, and it kind of raises the question uh, around what organizations are doing to reflect what their people care most about into society. And I know you yourself would have a very strong sense of purpose and you work closely with Lorraine Powell Jobs. And I know her, social impact organization uh, does a huge amount of great work um, around the world. What's your sense of how we should reflect what our people care about in society? Is it the job of organizations and, and what does that mean to culture? Well, like we talked about before this, um, we've spent the last five years, all of us uh, focusing on diversity and inclusion, right? And we've all been talking a lot about, you know, making sure that people bring their whole selves to work and that we really work hard on making sure that we have integrated and diverse workforces. And so we've done a lot of work in that area and people are making progress. So this is not the time to turn away from those very people we've worked hard on understanding, right? And I think it's really important for companies to take a stand on what's right because that's how they should be reflected in their organizations. And um, I'm really proud of the, the people that are out there, you know, saying and doing the right thing. And so the other thing I think that's really, really important about this moment is to be really listening to those people we work so hard to include 
right? Now is the time to be asking our, you know, our diverse companies, the people in those organizations, what's working for them? What are they worried about? What can we do differently, right? The same kind of crowdsourcing, but this very particular one, you know, asking, making sure that our African-American employees for us in America, you know, feel heard and can express what's going on for them and that we can talk about this stuff. You know, I did a lot of this kind of work. I ran diversity inclusion in the, um, in the 80s for Sun Microsystems. And I found that almost every issue came to the part about, we don't know how to talk to each other, mm-hmm. right? It was almost always a matter of what words do I use? How do I do this? How do I go about this? And I found that you know almost every time I just put a couple of people in a room and go, tell them how it feels to be you, that things would be better. It's a huge opportunity for that. It is, and I think it reflects in many ways what you've done for the HR world, Patty, um, in terms of breaking down acronyms, like a sense of what people viewed HR to be, to be something that at its core is something very real um, and something that simply has an impact on people Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore the organization and therefore the customer. And just Mm -hmm. to break down those barriers uh, on behalf of the Talent Summit community and indeed the HR leadership community here in Ireland, I want to say thanks. Um, oh, you're welcome. Bold after this it, you know, as you're talking, I'm remembering why I love Michelle so much. Because, <laughs> well, I love her for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons, I, one of the things she said today was, you know, I'm good at this because I practice. Right. And that's that's what we need to do. We need to talk to each other more and practice having honest conversations and we'll get better at it. So you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great. Great to see you. Great to see you. And I look forward to meeting you and seeing you in person and collaborating with you. Uh, We're doing it. Look after yourself. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, Paddy mentioned feedback uh, and mentioned um, practice. Um, And next week, we have a bonus edition uh, on Thursday at 3 p.m., where I'll be joined by Dara Sheridan and Christian Penny, who head up the high-performance coaching at New Zealand Sport. We look at performance art, we look at Maori culture to unlock the insights into high performance sport in New Zealand and the lessons uh, for business. Thanks for tuning in this week and I look forward to having you um, participate again next week. In the meantime, stay safe. Thank you.